Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News coming up. Sean's getting him on the phone right now. We'll talk about the Pac-12 conference. We'll talk about Media Day. We'll talk about this blasted conundrum that uh, we uh, find ourselves in in covering this conference. Is uh, uh, you know we are, are beginning to see that this is going to be more of a marathon than a sprint for the Pac-12. I want to play a couple clips while we're getting Wilner on the phone to kind of set the stage for our conversation. But let's start with Chip Kelly's comments. I asked Chip Kelly when he found out about UCLA's move to the Big Ten. Like, not when it was first brought up, but when he found out it was happening. Where was he? Here's what UCLA's coach said. I was at a charity golf tournament in New Hampshire. Who are you playing with? Um, I was playing with a former Nike guy, Gary DeCefano, who's a former vice president at Nike. That's a University of New Hampshire graduate. Gary was in our group. Sean McDonald, the former head coach of the University of New Hampshire, was in our group. And then a good friend of ours, Matty Cassano, was in our group. And then the group directly behind us was Ryan Day, yeah. who was playing with uh, his father-in-law, Stan Spiro, who was one of my high school coaches and teachers, and a bunch of guys who just got together. So I found out on 14. Yeah, we're in a weird world, aren't we? It was. And yeah. then, you know, it's going to happen in an hour and make sure you don't say anything. I was like, well, Ryan's behind me. <laughs> right. And by the time we got to 16, I think everybody in the world knew. And people were asking me, and I was like, I was told not to say anything. I don't know what's going on. So. There's Chip Kelly talking about it. Uh, it's evident, like Scott Frost, we later found out, the Nebraska head football coach, friends of Chip Kelly, was on the phone with Ryan Day. So they found out simultaneously. Meanwhile, uh, Lincoln Riley at USC told media on Friday that he was alerted when he was hired. He was told that this could be a possibility. Now, I think there's going to be some fallout, and there's going to be some blowback towards Carol Folt, the president at USC, as uh, you know, we talk about what did USC know and there is a report out there that Folt is the president who shut down Pac-12 expansion talk. As the Pac-12 was talking about adding Baylor and Houston, Texas Tech, some other teams, that it was Folt a couple of years ago who said, no, 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 I don't even know why we're talking about expansion. We shouldn't be having this conversation, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out USC maybe had one foot out the door while it was doing that. Conflict of interest or just shady, or is there a potential litigation that could involve Carol Folt and USC? I don't know. But I'm awfully interested in the timeline of all this, when it happened, how it happened, why it happened, and what's going to happen next. 
I do think, and I wrote this Monday and Sunday, and so I want you to pay careful attention to UCLA, more so than USC. On Sunday, I wrote a column at johnconzano.com that laid out a possibility that the Pac-12 conference may be angling for UCLA's return to the Pac-12. I thought it was really interesting that George Klyovkov was collegial towards UCLA in particular while he was taking shots at the Big Ten and the Big 12. Now, I get it. The Big 12's been launching grenades. The Big Ten stole two teams. But I think it's interesting that Klyovkov went out of his way, uh, both during his address in front of all the media and in the one-on-one that we did, he went out of his way to make sure we all knew that UCLA was welcome back with open arms in the event that, you know, that they wanted to reverse course. And I, I don't think for a second, mostly, I'm like 98% sure that UCLA is probably not coming back. But consider that the UC system and the regents of the UC system may have something to say. They may hassle you, UCLA over their departure. Consider that you may have blowback from athletes in Olympic sports who are saying, hey, I don't really want to travel all that way. I don't know why they signed on to do this. This is a football-basketball decision. You may have some reservations there. And I thought George Klyovkov during media day presented um, a nice case in which, you know, I thought, I thought he was doing a little propaganda work when he raised the idea that there are a whole bunch of alumni that are unhappy with UCLA joining the Big Ten Conference. And I thought that was very strategic of George Klyovkov because here's the scenario. I believe that the Pac-12 has asked its media partners, specifically ESPN, to present a valuation for media rights that includes UCLA as part of the picture. Because I think they want to go to UCLA and they want to go, look, we know that you've, uh, you're moving to the Big Ten, but here's what we can offer you if you stay behind because nothing's done until 2024. So I asked Klyovkov specifically twice now, you know, do, have you asked your media partners for evaluation that includes UCLA? He refuses to answer that question. I've asked him twice, and I'm told by people in the media world it would be uh, really foolish if he didn't. So I do think they are asking ESPN to provide them a number that involves UCLA. Now, if that number can get towards 60 or maybe even $70 million annually in distributions, would it give UCLA pause? Given all those other factors, the regents, the alumni, the travel, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But if you're George Klyovkov, that's a question you've got to ask UCLA. And I think that's why he's being collegial towards the Bruins. Hey, open arms if they want to come back. But I think secretly he's pissed. They, you know, he was backstabbed. Let's talk all about that with John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News, friend of this show, and co-host of the Konzano and Wilner podcast that has debuted on Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and other places. John Wilner, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Let's talk Klyovkov's performance. Uh, how do you grade his performance at Media Day on Friday? You know, I thought he did pretty well. But you you got to understand, I, I kind of feel like you can only grade somebody 
on a relative basis, right? And he's playing from a position of weakness, given what happened to his conference uh, a month ago. So he had to be, uh, you know, proactive, be bold, present a united front, an aggressive posture, right? Uh, And he did that. I thought it was interesting that in his prepared remarks, he was fairly diplomatic. It was only when the Q&A began that he got feisty. And I think that that probably is a more palatable approach than getting feisty during your prepared remarks, right? I don't know if he regrets saying what he said about the Big 12 in terms of having decided if we're going to go shopping there. Uh, He seemed to try to walk it back a little bit when he explained it a minute later. But, you know, I would personally say, you know, his leverage or his conference's lack of leverage right now, I think he probably did pretty well. John, you know, you go into this media day, he takes a couple shots, mostly did it in his Q&A. Why do you think it happened in his Q&A and not his prepared remarks? I, I just think it can, it can come off a, a little bit more aggressive, uh, sarcastic, feisty, if you're responding to, the, to a question as opposed to remarks that you have weeks to prepare, right? I mean, they worked on his speech, I'm sure, for a week or two, uh, especially given how important it was and all the, the backdrop to it. So, you know, that's, you know, you can just be a little bit more accepting, I think, of something somebody says when it's uh, a response to a question versus something they, they, you know, created well in advance. The teams in this conference... You know, it feels like Utah's got its stuff together. They're well positioned. After that, I think we could see a whole bunch of teams winning seven, eight games, six, seven, eight games. Did you come away from media day with your mind changed about any specific program or maybe who the contenders are and are not? Not really, because I kind of feel like, you know, everybody's putting on their best front media day, right? I mean, you go there and you listen to the coaches and you listen to the players and everybody's a contender. Uh, so I, you know, I, I kind of tune out a lot of that stuff, to be honest with you. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, to me, for, for my purposes, you know, some, what, what the schools are saying about their, what they think about their seasons coming up, you know, that's only one of the stories that was worth, you know, pursuing on, on Friday in Los Angeles, right? The, the future of the league is that in the balance at this point too. And I spent, you know, to be honest, I spent quite a bit of time pursuing that situation as opposed to digging deep into uh, prospects for the upcoming fall. How long can this stretch out, this media rights question, the question about who's with the conference, who's not going to be there in 2024? Well, I think that it's possible it could stretch out till September or October, right? I mean, typically negotiating a new media rights deal takes many months. Uh, the Big Ten's been doing theirs for like six months. So, uh, and especially if part of, if expansion ends up being part of the Pac-12's calculation, I think it go, could go on for a long time. I, I don't think it's going to end in the next couple of days uh, at the end of this 30-day exclusive negotiating period. And part of that's because, you know, everybody's waiting on the Big Ten, right? The Big Ten still has not closed their deal with Fox and whoever else. And so nobody knows, Pac-12 and the networks don't know who's got how much money available, 
who's got which broadcast windows available. Everybody is waiting around in the Big Ten, and I think that what happens with the Pac-12 won't kind of unfold in a real serious way until the Big Ten has finished its negotiations, and that could take several more weeks. Yeah, I keep hearing they're waiting for the Big Ten. They want to see what the Big Ten sets the market at. And I also think they're trying to figure out who has dollars to spend who didn't get to participate with the Big Ten and the SEC. Do you have a sense now on who those players might be? I think that it's probably CBS, NBC, ESPN Fox are, you know, I don't know. It's possible one of the digital, big digital players, Apple or Amazon, is involved. I don't know. But I think it's a, it's a good bet that ESPN Fox for sure and then CBS, because CBS needs content to replace the SEC, which it lost to Disney. And, you know, is NBC looking around for some kind of doubleheader partner for a Notre Dame game, right? I mean, NBC would love to have a Notre Dame game. Uh, on with a Big Ten game right before or right after. That's you know plays right to their Midwestern fan base uh, or viewership audience. So I would list the, the con- contenders as ESPN, Fox, uh, CBS, and NBC, and then it's probably the next tier is probably the Amazon and Apples. Who's the best quarterback in the Pac-12 next season? Uh, best quarterback... Tanner McKee, Stanford, is probably my pick. I, I think, we'll put it this way, I think he will come out of the season as the top pro prospect. I don't necessarily think he will have the best season because of the team around him, but uh, I think when all is said and done come November 30th or whatever, you know, that Tanner McKee will be viewed as the, as the best passer in the league. John Wilner with us, San Jose Mercury News, co-host of the Conzano and Wilner podcast, which you always should be subscribed to. Wilner, why are you doing a podcast? Well, I think we have got a lot to uh, to contribute to the public the public space. You know, we got a lot that we can inform people, we can entertain people. I got a lot in my head that I never get to publish that I would like to talk to you about. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be fun, and uh, I think that people are going to learn something and they're going to be entertained. I agree with that. I think it's all going to be fun. And I also I... think that, you know, as a, as a reporter, you know, I think you got there's a duty to try to, you know, inform the public record and keep the, the narrative, you know, down a straight path. You know, there's a, especially right now with all the realignment stuff going on. There's a lot of smoke, as you know, and I think that there's a certain duty where you got to say, look, this is, this is a reasonable conclusion, but this is preposterous, and you're wasting your time thinking about it. Yeah, let's, let's go through some of those things because, you know, even uh, George Kuyavkov came on this show Friday, and he said, hey, look, you know, we've got national media members who are retweeting burner accounts and using stuff in their coverage that isn't substantiated. Um, I think it's really interesting times, but I found some of the same. I was deeply frustrated by some of the stuff I saw reported, and I'm like, as I start to run some of that stuff down, I'm told immediately there's nothing to it, and yet it's out there. Um, How difficult is it for people right now to get good information? 
Well, it's hard. For, it's hard for the fans. It's hard for reporters, right? Realignment is the hardest topic to cover as a member of the media, especially if you want to be a responsible journalist about it. And the reason it's so tough is because of two things. One, the circle of people who really know what's going on is incredibly small. And the other thing is the layer, it's very complex, right? Because it's not just about a coaching decision or a rec- which school a recruit's going to pick, right? There's so many factors that go into realignment between the TV, the media valuations and the institutional fit and the calculation with your Olympic sports and what your trustees and your regents think and your big donors. I mean, it's, it's this huge universe of issues that you've got to tackle. And so a media member who's, who's used to just going to one source to get all their information about this aspect of a team or, or that aspect of a team, well, that source doesn't know all the different factors that are going into realignment. So it's very hard to report accurately, and there has certainly been a ton of stuff. Look, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if the Pac-12 is going to survive or not. I, I have made the Pac-12 survival a four-point favorite over Pac-12 extinction. So I, I think that there's a better – if there's a better case, it's more likely than not that the competition is going to survive, but I, I don't know that it's uh, guaranteed by any stretch. But I do know that some of the stuff that's reported out there is complete nonsense. Uh, it's either factually inaccurate or it's a complete misinterpretation of, you know, what's going on. Yeah, and, and look, the big factors that go into that, true or false, let's play a little game here, in whether or not the Pac-12 survives. Uh, Oregon and Washington, are they big factors in whether or not the Pac-12 survives? Huge factors. Uh, I would say that Oregon and Washington are probably the number one and well, I can't say it like that. Let me rephrase. The biggest factor is what the Big Ten does. If the Big Ten doesn't come get any of the Pac-12 schools, then Oregon and Washington don't have any place to go, right? So that makes it much more likely the Pac-12 is going to stay intact. That's why I think the whole, this whole thing starts with the, with the Big Ten. But certainly there's a lot more value for the collective if Oregon and Washington are involved. And I don't think Oregon and Washington want to go to the Big Ten, a Big 12. I think that that is a last resort option for both of those schools. They don't want to be sending their Olympic sports to Waco or to Morgantown, right? They would like – they can't go to the Big Ten. They want to be part of a a reconfigured Pac-12. Give me an idea of why the Big 12 thinks it's more valuable than the Pac-12. That is a that is a real interesting question to me. Like, where? Do, how do they believe that? Well, I think they have, you know, and I don't think it is um, necessarily the wrong belief in some regards, right? It's possible that the Big 12, well, first of all, they believe that they have more stability, right? Their schools aren't going anywhere, whereas the Pac-12 could lose teams to the Big Ten. In some ways, that's a little nuts, right? The Big 12 is is making its case as the stronger league because it doesn't have any schools that the Big Ten would want, right? It's like, we're all second tier, and that makes us more stable. Uh, and that's true. The Big Ten and the SEC are not going to poach anybody in the Big 12, whereas they could poach, the Big Ten could poach Oregon and Washington and Stanford. Uh, but the other piece of the valuation is, you know, I, 
maybe they're, they've got a little bit more media value, but is it enough? This is what I keep getting back to. Do, or does the Big 12 offer enough increase in, in dollars to justify everything else that goes along with joining that conference, right? I mean, if they're going to say, look, we're, here's, here's $40 million a year. Pac-12 can only offer you $35 million a year. We're offering you $40 million a year. Okay, is that $5 million enough to justify being part of the Big 12 and the travel and all the, all the stuff that goes into it? No. $5 million difference is not going to – that's not going to catch you up to the SEC and the Big Ten. That's, that's, that's on the margins. And so that's why I think that the best chances that the Pac-12 is going to end up staying intact because it's not a big enough difference in money to go to the Big 12. I love it. Wilner, we'll get into more of this on our podcast. Kanzano and Wilner, find the podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get a podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, we'll begin dropping uh, full episodes here in the coming uh, days, so I want you to be on top of that. John Wilner, thanks for giving us some of your time. Thanks a lot, my friend. I appreciate it. There he is, at Wilner Hotline on Twitter. The best quarterback in the Pac-12 conference. I disagree with Wilner, but, and I also disagree with you, likely. I'll tell you why next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I got a chance uh, during last week's media day to talk to all the QBs, Tanner McKee, Cam Ward, Cam Rising, Caleb Williams at USC, among them. I got to say, I left my interview, and I said this yesterday with Caleb Williams, a little underwhelmed. I think statistically he'll probably be fine. Lincoln Riley's offense is made for quarterbacks. But there's just something not right going on with Caleb Williams. I, I don't know if it's that he's been in L.A. and he's loving being in L.A. and he loves him some Caleb Williams. Or if there's a bigger issue there. But I would I would caution people who are looking at Caleb Williams as the second coming of Patrick Mahomes to allow Caleb Williams to play some games and prove it. I there's just something that's a little bit off. And so I agree, like John Wilner, I asked him in the last segment who's gonna be the best quarterback in the conference and he talked about the top rated pro prospect and he mentioned Tanner McKee, who we had on the show who is getting into the private equity world, and that's what he's doing in, as his side hustle because that's what Stanford kids do apparently in the summer. But uh, but uh, I just I, – there's something about Cam rising as a leader at Utah and the team that's built around him that I think positions him well to be either first team or second team all-conference. And, and the guy's a leader. And a really good competitor. He's just a competitor. And you can see it. And then the second guy, Cam Ward, Washington State's quarterback, don't count him out either. He is, uh, as he said, playing in the offense that he played it in uh, Incarnate Word University. And he transferred to Washington State. Eric Morris, the offensive coordinator at Incarnate Word, is coming with him to Washington State. Here's Cam Ward talking about the adjustment 
from where he played a year ago to where he's going to play this season? So, you know, it's not really big of adjustment uh, playbook-wise uh, for me. You know, we've got the same signals, mm -hmm. same formations, everything the exact same from what it was at UIW. So really just getting to know my teammates a little bit more than what I already do and, you know, just having that team camaraderie uh, come September 3rd and we're just ready to play. Look, ready to play, and he talked about getting out and throwing with guys. I, I left my interview with Cam Ward going, this guy's going to be a problem for Pac-12 defenses. It, but I left my interview with Caleb Williams wondering, is he going to be the kind of leader that USC needs on the field? I think he'll put up numbers, but is he really going to be the best quarterback in the conference. I think we're all looking at the hype, and we're all supposing, we're looking at Lincoln Riley's offense, and we're supposing that Caleb Williams is going to be great. And he might be. He might be. I'm not afraid to be wrong here. But if I'm buying stock, uh, I'm buying Cam Ward, and uh, I'm going to roll with that. Tell me, guys, first team, second team quarterbacks next season, who do you like? Yeah, I think if we're going first team, second team, I think Cam Rising uh, is going to be first team. I think a lot of that is going to be just because Utah is going to be so successful in the conference. I don't necessarily think he's the best quarterback. I do yeah. agree with Wilner that I think Tanner McGee is probably the most uh, potential for a pro prospect this season as he could go to the NFL because he is a big, strong quarterback. But Giant guy. Giant yeah. guy, yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. I think Cam Rising is probably first team, but I'm with you. When you asked this question, my first thought was Cam Ward, and it was that quote right there. He said it's the same signals, same offense, and you look at what he did at Cardinal Ward. I know it's UIW, but 71 touchdowns, 14 interceptions in two seasons. He's going to have better athletes at Washington State. The offense is going to be built around him. He's going to be comfortable. I, I agree with you. I'm buying stock in Cam Ward as well. I think Washington State could be a solid team. And with Caleb Williams, I think he's going to be a third-team uh, quarterback because – I'm with you. I don't think USC is as good, and they're getting a little too much hype right now. I think they're more of an 8-7 win team, maybe a 9-win team at best. So I think Caleb Williams, maybe he's going to put up some numbers, but it's not necessarily going to show up in you know for the first, second team. Wow. I uh, I really think the the obvious answer is, is Caleb Williams. And if it's not Caleb Williams, it's Cam Rising. And I, I really like Washington State's quarterback, too. Um, I definitely left that interview the other day with you, John, um, really liking – uh, Cameron Ward, but with Caleb Williams, I mean, you think about what he did in his freshman year, and like, sure, there's some substance to the um, some of the backlash of what he did his freshman year. Like, he did play very poorly against Baylor uh, and Iowa State, and he only played a couple of he played you know half dozen games last year. So, yeah. I still think that you know this is a guy who took Spencer Rattler's job when Spencer Rattler is supposed to be the second coming of, you know, Baker Mayfield, basically, at Oklahoma. He took his job as a true freshman. He was a very highly touted recruit. You know, he, he like, USC was a school that had Keaton Slovis. It had Jackson Dart, and yet Lincoln Riley chose Caleb Williams. So I think there's, there's a lot of signs that Caleb Williams is going to be a star here in his sophomore year. I mean, he was already really effective in his freshman year. You think about who he's throwing to, too. He's got probably yeah. the best receiver core, receiving core in the entire country uh, with Jordan Addison and Mario Williams and some of the other guys they have down there. So I, I think it's Caleb Williams, but I'd, I'd be willing to accept Cameron Rising uh, arguments as well. When it comes to Tanner McKee, I think Tanner McKee is kind of like the the Justin Herbert, like uh, from his senior year, like maybe the best NFL prospect, but maybe not the best college quarterback. You have to remember Herbert was a third team uh, Pac-12 guy that year. Seven transfers will start likely in the Pac-12 this season. And John, where are we putting Chance Nolan? He was an honorable mention all Pac-12 last season. 
we didn't even mention him. We, you know, he's probably sixth or seventh in the league. Do you think he has a chance to be, you know, a first or second team Ali quarterback? Oregon State would have to be a tremendous surprise. I, uh, you know, just to your point about Cam Rising, there's, you know, he is he the most talented NFL-ready quarterback? No, but he's a guy who took his team to a Rose Bowl. We know he can do it. He's already done it. Chance Nolan's going to have to be that kind of guy, but I don't think he has the weapons to wow people. And I think Oregon State's going to be known for running the football, but. Uh, it was interesting. I I sat. I had coffee with Jaden Grant early in the summer, late in the spring. He and I got together and we just talked. And I said to him, "I think you need a quarterback." And he said, "I don't think so." And I said, "I think you need a quarterback." He goes, "I think we got one." And I thought he was talking about maybe one of the young guys. And in the course of our conversation, he kind of steered me back to look. He goes. We don't need a guy that's going to put the offense on his back, throw the ball 38 times a game. He goes, we need a guy who's going to make plays and hurt defenses that come up and try to stop our run game. And if Nolan can do that, he'll get some consideration. But I think the ceiling for him would be like, could he make second team? If Oregon State's surprised, let's say Oregon State wins nine games. They come in second. They play in the Pac-12 title game. They're a huge surprise. I think Chance Nolan in that scenario would get consideration. Yeah. And, Sean, I don't think you're crazy for picking Caleb Williams. He's got the receivers. Hell, you might throw for 2,000 yards in that offense with those guys. <laughs> Just throwing five-yard hitches to those guys and let them run. But I, there's something about the kid. And, granted, look, maybe it's like, like I've been at this a long time. I've been around David Carr. I've been around Justin Herbert and Marcus Mariota. I've been around Derek Anderson at Oregon State, and I covered the NFL, and there's something missing with Caleb Williams. And to me, it, it's more of a leadership flaw than it is a talent flaw. So he may come in, and he may have tremendous numbers, but the team splinters around him, or maybe he just loses a game or two he shouldn't have lost. It could be that kind of year for him. But he could have all the hype in the world around him. But there was just something in, in our interview. He's, you know, I asked him about the sports he played as a kid. You remember what he said, you guys? Individual sports, swimming. Yeah, it was, it was in all individual sports. And I was like, he was holding that up as like some great thing. And I was thinking, do you know what it is to be on a team? Do you know what it is to galvanize people around you, to be part of something bigger than yourself? And those are the questions I wonder about with Caleb Williams. And... I will not be surprised Like if this is like an Aesop's fable for USC this season. Tremendous talent, great receivers, Lincoln Riley, all the hype, the resources of USC. And, uh, you know, to your point, Stephen, yesterday, let's just say uh, week two they're playing Stanford, they get punched in the mouth. Week four they're playing Oregon State, they get beat again. Those, those early season games for USC are going to be interesting because if I'm playing USC, I want to play them in the first six games. Because I don't want them to get momentum and confidence and figure out roles and solve the culture issues. No, no, no. I want to get them where they're trying to figure out who they are. And I think Stanford and Oregon State have an opportunity early in the year to maybe hurt USC in a way that some teams later in the year are going to regret they didn't have. And Caleb Williams, he was the number one uh, high school quarterback, but there wasn't any pressure when we went to Oklahoma because, as Sean said, they had Spencer Rattler, and he was so bad that they put him in there thinking, you know, he can't be worse than this guy. And then he exploded. But as you talked about, John, yesterday, you know, he had a couple games at the end of the season where he didn't play very well. So I'm with you. I, it's going to be interesting to see how they react in the first couple weeks, you know, when they play Stanford, when they play Oregon State, 
on the road because you know those two teams are going to be physical with USC. That's how they beat the Trojans. Uh, so Oregon State beat them last year as being physical, and Stanford has always played well against the Trojans. So, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see how he reacts in those first couple uh, Pac-12 conference games. I, I yeah. just think you look at Lincoln Riley's track record in the past five years, it's Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, and then it was a half season of Spencer Rattler. And then I remember Spencer Rattler being okay. And then Lincoln Riley was like, no, we have this awesome freshman. Let's put in Caleb Williams. And, you know, he had his highs and lows as a freshman. But I think you look at Lincoln Riley's track record, it's it's unbelievable with quarterbacks. And now you give Caleb Williams uh, another year of experience and you give him the Blitnikoff Award winner. I just, yeah. I believe me, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a USC guy, but I, I expect fireworks from the, down there. I'm just, it, I'm super high on them. It may happen. You know, it's like I, I look at his offense a little bit like Mike Leach. Like there were some guys that played for Mike Leach and still do at Mississippi State that are going to pile up numbers because that system is designed to have you come out and throw 500 yards. You know, it's like you're not going to have that opportunity if you're at Oregon State. And so it may be statistically that Caleb Williams gets it done, but keep an eye or keep it in the back of your mind as you're watching USC this season. Are, are there going to be a game or two? where the lack of leadership or maybe a deficiency in Caleb Williams' leadership's genes end up being uh, coming back to bite him. Because I, I talked to Cameron Ward, and I went, damn, that guy's a leader. I talked to Cam Risen, I said, that guy's a leader. And I talked to Caleb Williams, and I went, eh, maybe. Like, he's going to pile up numbers and get a bunch of endorsements. But I don't know if he's the guy that's going to pull that team together. Leave it here. Get the BFT. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.